Holy Spirit. Father God, Christ our Savior, you are welcome here. God, stir in our hearts. Help us not to be lukewarm for you. But increase in us a hunger, a yearning, a desire that your love and your truth would burn bright in our lives. On this day, as your church gathers, not only in this city and around the nation and around the globe, would you bring us back, our hearts and minds, to that which is eternal. And may your word change us by the power of your spirit. Give us ears to listen, hearts open, a mind to receive, and a will to follow, to put into practice what you would have for us. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name I pray, and we say together, amen. amen. Is it good to be in the house of God with God's people this morning? Why don't we give a shout and a praise to God as we give thanks to him. Thanks for leading us in worship. Boy, and as you grab a seat, boy, what a joy it is to be with you here in this worship service. And many join us online as well. And if you're new here, I want to introduce myself. My name's Drew. I'm the senior pastor at Bellard Church. And boy, what a joy it is. We're in the third week of a sermon series on freedom. And the first week we explored freedom for what? And last week, freedom from what? And now it's freedom now what? Now that we've been given this freedom in Christ, now what? What has Christ called us to? And before we get into it, how many of you, show of hands, uh, saw the, the Women's National Championship in track and field? The last event was the 4x400 relay. Put your hands up. Okay. And not that what? Well, come on. This is like, uh, wow, like five of us saw it? Okay. Well, uh, it was like a week ago. And I would encourage you by the end of the day, you can, it's all over. It went viral. It's all over social media. Uh, just type in uh, women's 4 by 400 relay, and you'll see this amazing uh, relay race. And it was, again, a week ago, National Championship Women's Track and Field. I know we're just so involved in the World Cup right now, right? We're just obsessed. And I know you got up early and you watched the Germany-Mexico game. I know. So I'm shifting focus now on this uh, women's track and field. And what was so fascinating wasn't actually just the result, but was what the announcer said. So this 4x400 relay, okay, one lap around the track is 400 meters. And so rather than run around the track not just once or twice or three or four times around, uh, you as an individual, you run with a baton, you pass it to your next teammate, they run it once around, they pass it to the next person, they run once around. So four times total times 400 yards each, and it's a team sport, and they've got to pass the baton. If they drop the baton, they're disqualified. USC, my alma mater... And, you know, what was so fascinating is I said that there was like this hiss behind me from the choir because I know it's like Bruin country here. And uh, you've heard me say that I got into USC because it was my second choice. I wanted to go to UCLA. I didn't get in. So I went to my university of second choice. And every time I say that, every time I say that, Trojan fans are so mad at me. And I'm like... I'm just sitting in a fact. I wanted to go to UCLA. It was my second choice, and so I went there. But it was God's first choice because it was at USC that I met this church. 
I came to Christ. It changed my eternity. I'm now married to my beautiful wife who's in the back. We've got two amazing kids. And it's just amazing how the, 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 school, the school I didn't want to go to, God, you've abandoned me. You haven't answered my prayer. Was God saying, oh, haven't you heard the Garth Brooks song? Sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, and it was through that, not getting that uh, school. Anyway, I'm at USC, right? And what happens is UC, USC gets further and further and further back in the race. And, you know, it's Georgia, it's Purdue, it's Georgia, it's Purdue, and USC gets farther and farther back. And it's now about to be the last baton handoff. Uh, the anchor for USC women, Kendall Ellis, a phenomenal runner, uh, she's got a lot of work to do to catch up because, you see, if they win this event, they get enough points to win the national championship. So it's not just a race. It's a championship. It's the last event. And for the seniors, the last event in their college career. So now they're way back, back USC is. And so what does she do? She, she, she tries to rush ahead, and she almost bumbles the baton pass. She almost drops it. She almost gets disqualified. And she kind of stops and she gets it. And then she takes off. And now she's even further behind. And what's so amazing, you're going to watch this later, the announcer is like, USC is so far back. They're dead in the water. They're not going to make it. Purdue can't lose. Purdue can't lose. They're going to win. They're going to win. And Kendall Ellis, here's what's amazing. She can't hear the announcer. Like everybody watching the race, here's the announcer. The power of a narrator. So we're watching this race. You're going to watch this afternoon, and you're going to believe what the announcer believes. Purdue's going to win. USC's not going to win. But she couldn't hear the announcer's voice. She had another voice in her head. I don't know what it was. But it was much louder than you're going to lose. It was much louder than this is impossible. Uh, it's much louder than you're finished. And what did she do? You're going to watch it later. She was so, she was like 25 yards behind on the last turn. She puts on the afterburners because she is a Trojan and she wins by like two one hundredths of a second. And it was amazing. <laughs> and, it, and it went viral because the announcer is so confident, so confident that she's going to lose. The power of a narrator. You see, one of the highest callings that God gives us as followers of Christ is to narrate the world. You see, the power of the narrator, to look at a situation and to describe it, is so powerful. And one of the highest cons, and I'll repeat it again, for the church, for Christians, for followers of Jesus, is to see situations, to see the world, to see relationships, to see opportunities, to see setbacks from God's point of view, and not to see it from a human point of view, and to rightly narrate it and to live into it and to see it and to have God's word louder than every other word in your life. Because the truth is, there's people who are looking at you and saying, you're washed up. Is that the word you're going to take in, believe, live out? Someone might look at a relationship that you're in and say, that is hopeless. It's on the rocks. You might as well tap out. 
And God could be looking at it and saying, this is the perfect fertile ground for my glory to be exhibited. You might come out of a doctor's office. doctor says, I would get your affairs in order. I would just give up emotionally. I would just give up financially. It's, it's you know, the, the end is near. This could be God saying, this is for my glory. Watch what I'm going to do. You see, we have freedom, Christ calls us to, not just from things or for things, but now we've got an opportunity to live into this in such a powerful way that the world is hungry to see situations and relationships and how the world's unfolding from God's point of view. And he says, I want you to be the narrators, the messengers, the right speakers of what is really true. And this passage that we're going to get to today not only is hope for you as you run your race, but it's going to enable you to encourage and bless and properly narrate other people as they come in and out of your life. So why don't we open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21. And if you didn't bring a Bible, no problem. Uh, if you're in the front row, there's a little red book right behind your leg in the pew Bible. Some of you have your Bible on your phone. Some of you brought hard copies. And as we go to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21, if you don't own a Bible, please take one of those with you. We'd rather you have it. We'd rather it be open and alive in your life, speaking truth. Scripture says about itself that God's word is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Scripture also says about itself that every word is God-breathed. Every single word and teaching is useful for correction, for reproof, for training up in the way of the Lord. You see, this is the narrator of all narrators. the author and perfecter of our faith, who didn't just speak long ago but speaks to us now through God's alive and active word. So hear these words on this Sunday, on this Father's Day, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So... We are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, this is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. All right, let's leave those Bibles open. Let's go to verse 16. And what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at two things. First, what Paul is saying. That's the writer, the author of this letter. What Paul is saying. And then number two, what this means for us today. So I'm going to go back and forth between what he's saying and what that means for us today as I simply just walk through each of those verses one by one beginning in verse 16. So let's keep those Bibles open for the whole time. Take a look. Verse 16. From now on, therefore... All right, every time you see a word therefore, you've got to know that something came before it. It is like, a, okay, all these things have happened, so now therefore, here's how we should live. And you can read a little bit later, maybe on today before you Google 4x400 Relay. Paul has talked about something has happened in the world. 
that has changed the course of human history. There's an event more powerful than any product, any government, uh, any worldview, any book, or any incident in the history of the cosmos that has actually changed things more drastically than anything else, and it's Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection from the grave, and now at the right hand of the Father, he has given us God's spirit that dwells in us, that leads us to truth. And Paul says, therefore, because Jesus has already done all of this, therefore, verse 16, we regard some people. No. We regard uh, Christians. No, no, it doesn't say that. Um, we regard people that are just like us. No. Paul says, we regard no one from a human point of view. You're free in Christ. You've said yes to Christ. Now what? One of the things Paul says, from now on, from here on out, you look at every single person on the planet, not from a human point of view, even though he once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him in this way. He says, now you look at every single person on the planet, People like you, people unlike you, Christians, non-Christians, people you hate, people you think aren't worthy of God's love, people who have wronged you. The full spectrum of humanity, you look at every single person, no longer from a human point of view, you look at them from God's point of view. Well, how can you do that? You've got to get in God's Word. You can't know God's view without getting in God's word. The more you get in God's word, you begin to see that God has a desire and a longing and a loving pursuit of every human on this planet. That his heart breaks when we're selfish. His heart breaks when we choose our way. His heart breaks when there's bigotry and racism and doubt and bitterness and unforgiveness and injustice. His heart breaks and yet he pursues us. So don't be like the narrator in the 4x400 relay and look at somebody and say, ah, man, they'll never get it. They're too far gone for God to love them. Uh, you know, that's not going to work out. Uh, that, that, that system, that way of thinking, it's not going to work out and walk away and give up on them. Paul says, if you've given your life to Christ, if you're now free in Christ, now what? Allow God to see the world through you. And that takes work. It takes time to open up God's word, to prayerfully say, God, help me understand this situation. Let's make it really practical. How many fathers are here? Fathers. Now, uh, you can view your uh, fatherhood from your human point of view, or you can begin to view your fatherhood from God's point of view. You can look at it with a tremendous pride and say, man, I am the, you know, I... Bow down and worship me because I'm, you know, what's up? I'm, I'm like, I'm the dad of all dads, right? And maybe God's point of view humbles you a little bit. Or maybe you come into it and you say, you know, I am the worst dad on the planet. I've got so much regret. I live with shame. I live with bitterness. I can't live with myself. I've got all these regrets. I, uh, from a human point of view, you might say that. But God says, let me show you how I see you. And how many of you um, have lost a father? I know this takes a lot of courage to put your hands up. You know, and I have no idea as a, a human being what it's like to, to lose an earthly father. 
And God knows you so well. He knows your heart. He knows every emotion and the spectrum of all the hands that went up. Some of you have deep memories of joy. Some of you have deep memories of regret. Some of you, raise your hand. You never met your dad. There's an invitation through a freedom in Christ, uh, Paul says, to actually begin to look at our earthly fathers from a, a different point of view, from, from God's point of view, to a place where we might say, God, thank you. You are the, uh, the giver of that gift in my father. You might look at your father and say, God, give me the strength to forgive. Uh, help me to not put them into the role that only you can play. I, I wanted them to be everything for me. Help me to see them rightly. You see, the Apostle Paul says that there's an opportunity for us to, to view the world, to view relationships, to view things from God's point of view. And we can't do that overnight. You can't just will yourself. You've got to spend time in God's Word to grow us, to, to educate us, to, to realign us to how He longs for us to see. But then it goes on. Take a look. Verse 17, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. You see, Christ doesn't come just to be an add-on to your life. You know, he's not like, a, you know, like those bundle things, like we're going to throw in cable with that internet, you know. He's not like, you know, he's not like uh, apps on your phone. You know how when you get like a, you need to upgrade or update, I mean, you know, the, the firmware or the software on your phone to the next thing, 4.79324, because it's going to fix this one bug that causes it to crash. Jesus is not like that. He's not like a little add-on, a little improvement, a little upgrade. He's not like a supersize to your life. He says, I have come to make you new, to be a new creation. And I don't have time to unpack the fullness of what that is, but Paul is saying that you in me are a completely new thing with a new purpose, with a new focus, with a new identity, with a new security, with a new call on your life. This is not an add-on or a one-degree change. It is a completely different new thing. And then he goes into the details and the specifics of that, and he uses this word reconcile. And he uses it five different times in these verses that we'll see here, but he uses it in slightly different ways from different angles. Now, the word reconcile in the first century Koine Greek, which is the, the language of the New Testament primarily, it means to reestablish something that has been broken. He's not talking about restoration. He's talking about reconciliation, to reestablish, to reconnect that which has been broken. If you were with us last week, I shared that we were created in this world to have a whole relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with creation. And that became broken when we choose our way rather than God's way. And we do this all the time when we put ourselves on the throne of our lives. We fracture that relationship. We are in need of reconciliation. Now, how many of you, just show of hands, uh, have a person in your life that you feel like your relationship is broken? It, it, it's, not, it's not whole. Yes, it is part of the human experience. There's a need for reconciliation there. Now, how many of you uh, would say when you look out on this world, it seems like, gosh, with all the, like, volcanoes and global warming and, and hurricanes and earthquakes, it, it seems like the world is broken. Anybody else feel like that? Like if things aren't running perfectly smoothly, it seems like, right? Okay. Uh, now, how many show of hands would say that 
you've ever had an experience where when you think about God, there's a little bit of either guilt or when you think about your relationship with God, it seems like, gosh, it feels like sometimes He's not there. Where you feel like your relationship with God isn't as good as it should be. Anybody feel like that? Like me as a senior pastor? Yeah. Uh, how many of you, uh, and this is probably the most courageous thing to respond to, when you think about yourself, when your head hits the pillow at night, when you just, you've got nobody else to answer to, and you begin to think about your day, your week, your life, regrets pop up. You're frustrated with yourself. You're kicking yourself for not being more courageous. Or you're, what an idiot to yourself for doing that thing again. Anybody else? Yeah. So Paul is saying we live in a world where reconciliation is needed. All these things, all these relationships have been broken. And so Paul enters into, as God's Word always does, right into the reality the humanness, the everyday experience of our lives, and this is what he says. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now let's pause there. The word reconciled, in this instant, he uses a verb tense. And it's a verb tense, you know, like past, present, and future. Uh, he uses a Greek verb tense that we don't have in the English. And this is why it's so important to spend time and to get deep in and to study and, and to not take it just from my lips, but there's so many free resources online where you can get in and you can study the Greek language. Go to BibleHub.com, uh, Biblia, Logos. There's so many great resources that are out there. And when he says that, that uh, all this is from God who reconciled us, he uses a tense that's not in the English and it's the aorist tense. Let me hear you say aorist. You know when a, a pebble drops in some still water and it's like a one-time event, it happens, it's dropped, it's done, the pebble isn't going up and down continually, it just it drops, it just happens, it's done, it's finished. But then there's a ripple effect that spreads out. That's the aorist tense. Paul says there's something that has been done. There's been something that's been finished. There's been something that isn't continually going on. It has been finished. And what's been finished? What God has done is he's reconciled us to God's self through Christ. On the cross, what did he cry out? The last thing he cried out, he said, it is. The pebble dropped. It's done. And this is such a huge reminder for us because don't think that God says, you know, you've got to do all these things. You've got to show up to church. You've got to pray enough. You've got to give enough. You've got to be good enough. You've got to keep your nose clean. Do all these things because it's really an ongoing work of being reestablished in your relationship with God. It's an ongoing process of being reconciled. No, no, Paul says it's been finished. God's done something. It's already completed. There's no more to do. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It's already been done. But now it has ripple effects through every human relationship. 
It ripple effects throughout the cosmos, and its effects will be experienced for all of eternity. The Apostle Paul goes on. He says this. Take a look. As I lose my place, turn my Bible upside down. 2 Corinthians 18, all this is from God, who reconciled us, past tense, with eternal ramifications to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Second time he used the word reconcile. He says, you're now free, but now you've got a purpose, you've got a calling, you've got a ministry, and it's a ministry of reconciliation. That your life would be about reestablishing, reconnecting broken things. That's the highest calling on your life. More so than how much you can make, where you live, your reputation. Christ has given you freedom to be a part of his reconciling work, the ramifications that are going throughout the cosmos. You now, individually, even if you don't have minister as a title, even if you haven't been to seminary, even if you're not ordained, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a ministry of reconciliation. This is true in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplaces, even on vacation, wherever you go. And as a church, we describe it this way. We want to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. This ministry of reconciliation, everybody is an opportunity for reconciliation because we receive and we see no one any longer from a human point of view. But then he goes on, verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Now, here's what's interesting. The verb tense shifts. It goes from the aorist, remember, past tense, past completed action, the pebble dropping. He now moves it into the present tense. Well, wait, whoa, Drew, oh, hold up, Drew. If he did something in the past and he finished it, how's he still doing it? I mean, by definition, if you finish something, why are you still doing it? If you said you're done with the project, why are you still working on it? You know, if you're still building the house and you said it was done, that's a conflict of interest, right? I mean, that doesn't make sense. See, that's why you've got to understand that the pebble dropping in the pond is such a perfect metaphor. Because though the pebble dropped once and it's underwater, look at that ripple effect. It moves a leaf 30 seconds after the pebble finished dropping. It hits a bird that now takes flight a minute after the pebble dropped. It hits the shore three minutes. You can hear it, see it, taken in. Long after the pebble has dropped. You see, when the Apostle Paul says something's been, been finished, it's been completed, and now he says that God is reconciling the world to himself, he says that the experience of God's reconciling work is still happening. And the word, the Greek word that he uses for world is the word cosmos. And it doesn't just mean human beings. You see, Christ's work on the cross is so much more. It's not less, but it's so much more than just reconciling you to him. The word cosmos means not only everything in the universe. It also means governmental structures. It means economical systems. It means every human relationship. Do you realize this? That what Christ has done is he has actually begun the ball rolling, a ripple effect 
that ultimately is with the goal of reconciling everything in the cosmos. So that's what Paul said. Here's what it means today. I'm, I'm going to talk really big picture, and then I'm going to get really personal. One of the things that uh, the word cosmos holds together is economic systems. At no point in human history have we had an economic system that is as whole and as perfect as the economy of God. There are some people who say, ah, oh, communism, a socialism, uh, capitalism, a barter society, or a free society, right? All these different types of economic systems. Every single one of them has their pros and has their cons. Every single one of them has good and every single one of them has bad. Every single one has uh, great things and every single one of them has brokenness in them. So you've got to understand that as human beings, we live in this world where there is brokenness as a result of how our world has created economy. You're aware of this. You know this. That there are people who live in slave labor camps. That there's child slave labor. That actually there's economic systems that... Uh, make money off of oppressing other people. And that actually what the Apostle Paul said in a very practical way, now you have freedom in Christ, you've been given a, a ministry of reconciliation. Later on he'll say you are ambassadors for Christ. Here's what it means in absolute practical terms. That the decisions you make with your money and educating yourself on how your money goes down the chain, if it oppresses people or not, is actually part of you living out your following of Jesus Christ. And that Paul says as Christians, you should be more than anyone else, more than the activists, more than political parties, more than any other school of thought. As Christians, you should care more about how economic systems work. Do you? I sure don't because we've missed that whole part of the gospel. We, we, we've forgotten uh, that to live out as followers of Jesus Christ, that includes every relationship, every sphere, everything in the whole cosmos. And we've kind of narrowed it, we've compartmentalized it to just this me and Jesus thing. Let me get to another level. Cosmos also says governmental systems, governmental structures. There's no human government that's ever been perfect. You look in other countries, throughout history, even the United States, no matter which political party you are for or against, none of them are perfectly good, none of them are perfectly evil. There's, there's pros and there's cons. There's goodness and there's brokenness. And it's so complicated. We live in a world where we're trying to reduce everything to just a sound bite. And so we live in such a tense political arena right now in the U.S. And let me just speak about one example. It hit the news recently. And, you know, news distorts things. It's got an angle. But it's a fact right now that we have nearly 12,000 kids that have been taken from their parents who are, as our country says, illegal immigrants, and they're under the care of the Department of Homeland Security. And on this Father's Day, there's some kids who have been ripped out of the relationship with their fathers. There was a six-week period where 2,000 more kids were, were taken away. Now, there's some people who are rallying. They've got this rallying cry for that. And there's some people who are saying, whoa, are you criticizing our government, who I love, who can do no wrong? 
The Apostle Paul says that we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. And actually, there's something that we should, as Christians, more than any other political party, any more than any other activist group, can actually lean into and be part of healing, reestablishing broken relationships. But let's be consistent. Because there's some people that are ripping babies out of their mother's wombs. And I find that the people who care about that don't care about what's going on at the border. And the people that care about what's going on at the border don't care about abortion. Now I've pissed off everybody. <laughs> and I said pissed off. And I, and I said pissed off, and you're remembering that more than what I said just before it. <laughs> now you've got to understand, we've got to be consistent. The Apostle Paul says more than any other thing in the world, it is followers of Christ that are called to be ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation. Yes, it's complicated. Yes, I believe women should have the choice. Absolutely, but we also live in such a broken world that the fact that there even needs to be a choice means there's brokenness to begin with. So how do we, as far upstream as possible, as the church, enter into the lives of people, care for people. We talk about the foster care system all the time. It's one of the primary reasons of homelessness in Los Angeles because kids age out of the foster care system. It should be the church that is the solution to the brokenness in this world because Christ says, that's why I set you free. So rather than us either feeling paralyzed or to think that we can only, you know, go on Facebook and that's the only avenue of which we can kind of, you know, be bold in our faith. The Apostle Paul says, would you spend your life in God's Word, allowing Him to properly narrate what's going on, who you are, that you're a beloved child in Christ, that you now have this opportunity to be a minister of the gospel, an ambassador for Christ? And he goes on. What's so amazing, it doesn't end there. I can't believe I said pissed off and I just said it again. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Remarkable. He has entrusted you and me with the message of reconciliation. Like, he's got a, a pretty deep Rolodex of messengers that he could call on. Burning bush, God's like, I got that. Angels, got that too. You know, tower of fire, got that. Still small voice, God's like, that was a good one. He's got all those messengers. And Paul reminds us that now in Christ, you are the messenger. He chooses you. Not just me, not just other pastors, not just authors, not just leaders. He chooses all of us to be messengers of reconciliation. He entrusts it to us. What a strong word. And he goes on, so we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. And what's so amazing here is the word reconcile is the last of five times he used the word reconcile. And now he uses a passive 
form of that verb. That's odd. You see, the message, Paul says, is not you reconcile yourself to God. He doesn't say, you know, you, you better measure up. He doesn't say, you've got to do the hard work of making your way into God's presence. No, no, no. He says, be reconciled. When it's a passive verb, it means that God is doing all the action. And your job, your responsibility, which actually is one of the hardest, most difficult things to do, is to drop everything. First, to drop all your good deeds that you think have earned your way into God's presence to drop your brokenness, your bad deeds that you think prevents you from receiving God's love, you drop all of it and with empty hands of faith, you receive the reconciling, reestablishing work of Jesus Christ. That's the message that Paul has for you, and that's the message that Paul wants to send through you into this world where you would say, just be reconciled to God. He's done it all. He's finished it all. He's done all the work. He's extended the gift. And Paul ends with this. It's one of the greatest theological statements in all the scriptures. And at first glance, it doesn't make any sense. Verse 21, for our sake, he, that's God, made him, Jesus, to be sin. Not to do sin. Christ lived the perfect sinless life. He was tempted, Scripture says, in every way that we have yet was without sin, and yet God made Christ to be sin, to be brokenness, to be the fullness of all of our collective mistakes as a human species. Even though he knew no sin, even though he never did sin, so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The word righteous means to be approved. And here's the truest narration about you if you've given your life to Christ. More than what the world says, more than what your boss says, more than what people have said or haven't said, more than the, the tapes that play in your mind. God says, when you receive Christ, there's a great exchange. Christ takes all of your brokenness, all of your shortcomings, all of your mistakes, and he gives you all of his approval, his goodness, his record. So as you run your race, I don't know what voices you're hearing, but let this voice be louder than anything else. You are loved. You are holy. You are a new creation. You are God's masterpiece. You are an ambassador for Christ. God is calling you to be bold, to be courageous in all these areas that we've talked about. But it begins first by receiving that amazing, amazing truth that He even wants to reestablish a broken relationship with you in the first place. Now, let's get even more practical in the last three minutes. Show of hands, how many of you have... Uh, one human relationship in your life that is a little broken, a little on the fritz, a little afraid. Okay. Now, this also includes, and I want you to include this, even if somebody has passed away, maybe your memory of them is, is broken and, it, and it's affecting you still today. Now, I said earlier that God is 
through this passage speaking about reconciliation. And though this passage is focused on reconciliation and not restoration, God is in the restoration business as well. But restoration can only happen if reconciliation happens first. And I want to give you a really practical image, a practical kind of way to step into an ever-reconciling and restoring process in your human relationships. I want you to imagine yourself, uh, if somebody has wronged you, you're on the curb. Okay? I want you to just imagine that you're on the curb. You've been kicked to the curb. Or you've kicked them to the curb. We're on the curb. We've put people on the curb. There's a front lawn. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's, it's eco-friendly. California, right? But it's gorgeous at the same time. But a little picket fence in the front. And, and the, the, there's a little gate, a little doorway, a little tiny gate. Uh, and, and there's a little sign that says, forgive. And underneath that, there's another word that says, repent. If you've kicked someone in the curb and you want to begin to invite them onto the front lawn, we'll call that reconciliation, you've got to forgive them first. When you forgive them, that gate swings wide open. It's a two-way thing, though. If they're on the curb or if you were on the curb, you've, you've got to repent, which means to turn, to, to acknowledge in a real way, not a get-out-of-jail way, but in a real way to say, I'm sorry. You see, when that gate swings open, that is the first step to begin to reestablish, to reconnect that which has been broken. There's people in your life that God wants to reconcile you to. And for some of you, and I want you to do this today, it might be you in your heart or calling them or if they've passed away, in prayer, you saying to God, God, I forgive them. Or to say to somebody, I forgive you. Or it might be you saying to them or it might be saying to God or in your heart to say, gosh, I'm sorry, I repent, I shouldn't have done that. I want to reconcile. That's the work that God can do today in Jesus Christ. But here's what's amazing. We weren't designed to always live just on the front lawn. There's a whole house, a house of restoration. And there's a front door. And there's a little sign on that front door, and it says, trust. And below that it says, trustworthiness. Don't confuse forgiveness and trust as the same thing. When we do that, when we think they're the same thing, we forgive people and we entrust them too much in the moment and they continue to hurt us. Or we're so afraid they're going to hurt us, we don't trust them that we never forgive them. Christ says that we should forgive freely. As you've been forgiven in Christ, forgive 70 times. Just keep forgiving, forgive, forgive, forgive. But trust. That has to be earned. That's healthy boundaries. That's saying, when you do this, you break my trust. And if you were to do this, that's how you would earn my trust. Or if you were the one that you would need to live into and do things and behavior and words that are trustworthy. 
You see, God wants us to forgive and to reconcile and to build trust so that one day we would be restored. And here's what's amazing. God says that's where we're headed. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will be completely restored in our relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, with all of creation. And the prayer that we pray, God, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to begin to not only reconcile, but to begin to restore our relationships, how we relate to one another in an economic system, how we govern people in all the different ways, in all the areas of our life. God says, oh, we got an amazing journey ahead. But let's first begin with the truth that Jesus, he paid it all. He paid it all. He paid it all. Let's pray. Loving God, so many things. And I confess that in the heat of my moment, when I said pissed off, I... Uh, maybe turned some people or distracted some people. So I, God, I ask that your spirit would uh, be louder than my words. But God, I pray that whether it was anything today, worship, your word, announcements, this place, people, anything, God, that you would use to draw people closer to you in ways that are aligned with Scripture, I pray that those things would set root that those things would be planted, that your truth and your beauty would grow, that this high calling you have for us would be magnified, and that we would be a church known as made up of ambassadors for Christ, that we would see this as an embassy, an embassy unlike the world has ever seen, that people would find refuge and hope and love, that we would be on a mission for you, your gospel. Jesus, may we be brought back to how this all began, the fact that you finished it all. You've done this great thing that changes everything. It's in your name we pray and we sit together. 